Good morning. morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this new day, and we thank you um, that you are here with us, Lord, and we're grateful for your presence with us. And so we we pray, Lord, um, come Holy Spirit and fill us up this day, God. Um, May we know you and... um, and experience your love and your truth this day as we come to worship you, God. We, we love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was so excited this week, and I've been looking forward for a long time to our Maker's Morning, which just happened yesterday. And so it was like this kind of like craft morning where we were all going to like get together and work on some stuff. And so finally the day came yesterday. Ah, I was like pumped. So there I was cruising on my way up to my niece's house because part of the reason I was so excited for our maker's morning was because I got to bring my little nieces with me. And um, so I was just pumped driving and then also wondering like, hmm, because the theme of our Maker's Morning yesterday was Advent. Like, so we're going to make things that have to do with the upcoming season of Advent starting now in December. And then I was like, uh, how do I explain Advent to like my six-year-old and four-year-old nieces? What does that really sound? What does that sound like? And so I was like, okay, kid language. Let's just, we'll give it a whirl here. And so I tried to explain to them, like, we celebrate Advent. Have you heard of Advent? No, what's that? Um, We celebrate it during the month of December. And during that time, we wait and we prepare. And I was like, have you ever had to wait for anything before? And Isla was like, hmm, no, probably. (laughs) Andy was like, no, I don't ever have to wait. I was like, oh, brother, that's not true. (laughs) And if it is true. (laughs) Um, But... Then Isla was like, oh, yes, oh, yeah, like Ethan is having to wait at home because Grandpa Russ is going to take him out for the day. And so he was waiting for Grandpa to come. And I was like, yes, okay, that's a good example. We wait. And so Advent is a time like that where we're waiting and preparing for someone to come. And who do we celebrate at Christmas time? Like, who are we waiting to come? Baby Jesus, yes, okay, so... That's, we had this little mini conversation in the car, which was good. I was like, okay, okay, well, you know, that's a start. <laughs> and then after we arrived at the Maker's Morning here at church yesterday, Pastor Jan, she gathered us around this little table with the deep blue cloth, and on it was our little wooden, the kids' wooden advent wreath that has like this little wooden donkey with Mary on it and baby And kind of like there's a candle that moves with each day of Advent. Um, And then the little donkey and Mary get to like move along, you know, until you get to like the middle of the circle and then it's Christmas. It's like a beautiful little thing. So we lit the candle and we said our prayers. And then uh, Pastor Jan, in her own words, was like describing Advent to us. And so not these aren't your words exactly, Jan, but... So a little, it sounded a little bit something like this in her, this beautiful summary of Advent with these kiddos. So I am like kneeling by the table next to in between my nieces as we are like experiencing this thing and trying to figure out 
what's really what's happening right now. <laughs> and so Jan asked, you know, how did Jesus come the first time? How did Jesus come? There's like timid little voices, like a baby. Everything felt like whispered. <laughs> yeah, Jesus came the first time as a baby. And we believe that Jesus is coming a second time. Do you know how Jesus is going to come a second time? And then it was really quiet. <laughs> and then Jamie's little voice, because everything felt so like hushed for some reason. It's like, oh my gosh, we're being asked questions. <laughs> I came to do crafts. <laughs> um, but questions, how is Jesus going to come again? And then it was like, in the sky. And Jan said, we believe Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus is going to come again, come a second time in the sky. And you could like feel it in these kids' brains. Like, what? <laughs> That's what I felt in between my nieces. In the sky? And then Jan said, but, and you know, what's another way that Jesus comes? Like, Jesus is going to, Jesus also comes. Another way, do you know how else Jesus comes? And at that point, it was like, what? <laughs> There's more? A baby and in the sky and some other way? And, and Jan said, in our hearts. Every day Jesus comes to us in our hearts. So we believe that Jesus first came as a baby, and Jesus is going to come a second time in the sky. Every day Jesus comes to us in our hearts. Advent. Advent. Yay for Advent. Ah. During the season of Advent, we celebrate that Jesus came and that Jesus comes and that Jesus is coming again. And it was like the most beautiful little moment that we shared there around the table. And um, the crafty, lovely Maker's Morning was even more lovely than from that point on out because... It was then that we began not only to tell the story with our words, but also to tell the story using the work of our hands. And um, so it was with family and friends and neighbors that nests were made out of sticks and yarn. I brought my little nest. This is my little yarn nest. To be like, I was like, what is the meaning of these nests again? Like they're empty. I put a little rocks in there to be my, my little eggs. It's like the waiting for Jesus to come. We're like literally nesting, you know, getting ready for Jesus to come. So we were making those. My nieces made um, 48 ornaments for Jesse Tree. They each made an entire set. So there was lots of cutting and gluing and snip, 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 snipping going on. And um, advent calendars were also, advent calendar like countdowns, were also designed with like beauty and care. And we all stayed busy. Well, some really busy, but <laughs> lots of busyness there. For like three hours, we, we worked and we created and we entered into this um, Advent preparation. And it is not the season of Advent yet, but this is like a bonus. Like this is coming, it's coming up. And it, it's, it's really good. And it was so fun. It was so fun, and I left caught up in the wonder of God's story and how fun it is and how fun it can be to hear and see God's story passed from one generation to the next. 
In our scripture text this morning in Joshua chapter 3, verses 7 through 17, we're told a story and it involves God's ongoing presence and God's ongoing purpose for his people from one generation to the next. And it's a story that now passes from Moses. We've been spending a long a number of weeks now hearing different stories of Moses. But this week, the story passes from Moses to Joshua, for after Moses breathed his last, God called Joshua then to be the leader of his people. And in Joshua chapters 3 and 4, we have this story, um, which is, it's this beautiful, great story. We find Joshua and the Israelites standing now on the brink of the promised land. But I think we can only really appreciate and begin to understand the significance of this moment if we understand what happened a little further back in the story, because there's been some things that have happened. So perhaps you'll recall that the first time that Moses and the Israelites were on the edge, on the brink of this promised land, there were spies who were sent to scope out the land. Yeah? Like, 12 men went to spy on Cain, and 10 were bad, and 2 were good. What did they see when they spied on Cain, and 10 were bad, and 2 were good? Some saw giants, big and tall. Some saw grapes from clusters fall. Some saw God was in it all. 10 were bad, and 2 were good. It gets faster. It gets faster from then on out. Just say the same things. That's from my childhood. There you go. Anyway, that's the story, right? There were these 12 spies sent into Canaan. Ten of them came back with not so good good reports. Two of them came back with good reports, one of them being Joshua. And they saw some things there in that promised land that actually gave them great fear. And the spies who were sent to scope out the land when they returned, um, they, they began to be afraid and bad reports began to spread. So aside from the children's story song version... Um, They said this in Numbers chapter 13, verses 31 through 33. The land we explored devours those living in it. And all the people we saw there are of great size. We seemed like grasshoppers. (laughs) Things only go downhill from there. (laughs) The people say, the people say this in response to the spies' reports. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Whoa, no, we've been, I feel like every other week I'm hearing this question out of their lips. I'm like, no, 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 it's not better back there. But the anxiety at this point is so high, it's like becomes the default question. Wouldn't it be better to go back to the past where we were oppressed and enslaved rather than go into this land that devours the people living in it giants. Good fruit, good food. I think that was part of the reports too, like gulps of grapes. But giants. It's really bad. It gets really bad. They even want to stone Moses and um, it just, (laughs) it gets out of control. And ultimately the people refuse to go. They refuse to go into the land. They reject the land, treating God with contempt. This is a whole story. If you want to really hear the details, you got to go read Numbers chapters 13 and 14. Um, turns out the book of Numbers has more than just numbers in it. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> and though God forgives the people, 
You know, Moses, again, goes to God on behalf of the people and reminds them who this forgiving God is. And so God forgives them. And God is also clear. This generation of Israelites, those who are 20 years old and older, will not see the land of promise. They will not enter the land of promise. They will wander in the wilderness. Indeed, they will meet their end in the wilderness. There they will die. It's just so sad that that fear and their anxiety kept them from the promise of God. But And so it happens that today here in Joshua chapter 3, it is the next generation who now stands on the banks of the Jordan River. It is the children of the Exodus, the deliverance, that deliverance out of oppression and slavery, and slavery are now the adults of the Isodus. I learned this new word this week. That's a thing. I couldn't read more about it because it was in German. <laughs> but... I did gather that it means to enter. So there's this exodus where God leads them out. They exit that land. And now they're like entering in. There's this exodus. They're entering in to this new land. And it's the same God who delivered them out of slavery is the same God who now leads them into this land of promise. And as the toes of the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant touch the water's edge, The waters rise up. In fact, they're piled in a heap back here by this town down yonder. And they stay piled up down there while the Ark of the Covenant is held in the middle of the river and all of the people of Israel, this new generation, crosses over that river on dry ground. I am just so curious, and I was so delighted in the fact that this same miracle that brought the people out is the same miracle that now God uses to usher them in to this new land. I feel like God could have done it a lot of different ways. He did the same thing. And it is the children delivered from that land of scarcity and anxiety under Pharaoh, these same children that were sustained through the years and years of wilderness wandering, by the generous abundance of Yahweh, that now get to step into this long-hoped-for land, the land God once promised to Abraham. And the waters rose up, and on that dry riverbed, the Lord ushered his people into promise. And the people this time passed through. This new generation like passed through. And on the other side of the river, at the end of this story in Joshua chapter 4, Joshua does two things. He says to the people, kind of in summary of this, this moment, he says to them two things. So listen for what Joshua does here. In Joshua chapter 4, verses 20 through 24, the message of Eugene Peterson's paraphrase sums it up like this. Joshua erected a monument at Gilgal using the 12 stones that they had taken from the Jordan. And then he told the people of Israel, in the days to come, when your children ask their fathers, what are these stones doing here? 
tell your children this. Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry ground. Yes, God, your God, dried up the Jordan's waters for you until you had crossed, just as God, your God, did at the Red Sea, which had dried up before us until we had crossed. This was so that everybody on earth would recognize how strong God's rescuing hand is, and so that you would hold God in solemn reverence always. Did you catch what Joshua says and does? First, he builds this monument, a memorial out of stones taken from the middle of that Jordan River, a memorial for the people of Israel. And then, second, he explains what it means. Why does Joshua do these two things? I think because there's a story to be told. There is a story to be told of God with words and with the works of our hands. When your children ask you about these stones that we built here together, Joshua says, tell them this. We crossed over this river on dry ground, and God, Yahweh, our God, did it. Do you know why? So that everybody on this whole earth would be able to see that the strong and powerful hand of God, the Lord. And the and so that you, my child, so that you would be in awe of and marvel at and always admire the Lord your God. It's like this place of wonder that the children would come and would wonder. It's as though these memorial stones gathered from the middle of the river that stood piled high are like this great mound of evidence for that generation. It's like evidence. These came from the middle of the river that we walked through. It was dry. Did you see it? It was really dry. This was the spot where we walked over, and the water was like way over there. It was during flood season. It was really, wow, it was just... But we did it. This is where. These are the stones. These came from the middle of the river. You know? Just look at this. God did that. And these stones that stood like evidence of God's mighty hand in the parting of the waters, the children accepted by faith. For the adults, it was like evidence. And for the children, they accepted it by faith. Hebrews chapter 11 reminds us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that are not yet seen. Church, we too, like our brothers and sisters before us, live by faith in Yahweh, accepting by faith that which remains unseen. A faith that has been in one way or another by words or by work of hands, passed on to us. And we share this faith of God, faith in God with our children. And there's experiential things, too, that we're like, this is the evidence! <laughs> this is the evidence! And there's times when it's like, we accept it like those children did. 
the children of those who crossed that Jordan River. In 1 Peter, I'm going to pull out another random verse here, but it all, I do think it connects, so hang with me. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, the Apostle Peter writes, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. I think I misunderstood this verse for a long time, and I'm beginning to think that giving the reason for the hope that I have within me sounds less like an argument for the existence of God, though that can be helpful. You know, there's, I like theology and philosophy, and people write intriguing and good things, and I think that's helpful. <laughs> and, but I think it sounds, right now for me, it sounds less like that, and it sounds more like a story. This reason for the hope that I have, it's like, comes out like a story. How do we pass on our faith to our children? How do we pass on our faith to our nieces and our nephews? To the kids across the street? We tell the story of God. With our words and by the work of our hands. With our lives. And yes, with colors and nests and stars and crowns and stones, and with bread and juice. How are we telling the story to our children? How are you telling your story of God's faithfulness? Is it with your words? Is it with the work of your hands? It can be a challenge, huh? A challenge to find the right words. A challenge to model and to show the faith that is within. Especially when that faith feels just so itty-bitty. Maybe even mustard seed-sized. But then Jesus has a story for us in that, too. It's a challenge, yes, and it's an opportunity an opportunity to sprinkle and to fling with, with faith and with wild abandon the seeds of our faith to our children, trusting that God will grow and that God will nurture those seeds of faith in their little hearts. And it's not about perfection, as my friend Miriam has been telling me a lot lately. It's not about perfection, but it's about progress. I'm not a parent, but... I just speak to all of you parents out there, all the aunties and uncles, all the grandma and grandpas, the sisters and the brothers. It's just about some progress in telling our stories. It's not about perfection. And with ourselves and with our children, we rely on those divine do-overs that Jan talked about last week. And we trust that God can and does lead us out of past generations of oppression and sin and anxiety. That God can lead us out of that. And lead us into, and our children, into more freedom in Christ. To greater trust in God's generosity and abundance and provision. 
and an enduring hope and faith in Jesus Christ that we then get to share with our neighbors and our world. We need lots of little faith-filled people, little people running around in this world who hold in their little hearts the hope and promise of Jesus Christ. Here at Abbey Way, we value telling the story of God. We really value this story. We really value God. <laughs> and again and again, year after year, we do our best to tell this story and our story with our words and with the work of our hands. It's like there, and it's there. It's like over here, it's over there. Like you look around the room and we're trying to tell the story with our words, me, today, right now, and with the work of our hands. And we're not doing it perfectly, but we are making progress. And it is so good because God is so good. It's so good. And when you consider all the good that God has given and all the goodness of how, who he reveals himself to be, we remember the Exodus story, that Moses story, that manna and quail story, the golden calf story, and today this Jordan River story, and yesterday our Maker's Morning story, and that Advent story too. How did Jesus come the first time? A baby. Did you know that he is going to come a second time? Do you know how he's going to come a second time? in the sky. And do you know that there's still another way that Jesus comes? In our hearts. Every day Jesus comes in our hearts. Thanks be to God.